Facebook and YouTube. Thank you for joining with us today. If you remember a few weeks ago, I finished a series, a mini-series in the life of Gideon, and we talked about many, many things. And I was thinking about that over the, uh, my time of rest, and um, I thought about another leader who experienced similar things, and I was able to draw some contrasts. And I want to bring another mini-series this morning, starting today. My text is found in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 9. And my series title simply is Modern Day Davids. What does that mean? Modern Day Davids. We're going to look at some contrasts in the life of Gideon and David, but also these contrasts that apply to all of us today. And how these contrasts can affect our lives and how we are to live in this world in which we live in today. And so let's begin by looking at our text, 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 9. And it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him even as his own soul. And Saul took him that day, and he would not let him go no more home to be in his father's house. And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe, please notice that, that was upon him, and gave it to David in his garments, even his sword, and to his bow and to his girdle. And David went out whithsoever Saul sent him and behaved. Notice, very important, please focus on this. David behaved wisely and Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in all of the sight of Saul's army. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines that the woman came out of all the cities of Israel, notice all the cities, not some of them, singing, dancing to meet King Saul and the tabrets with joy, with instruments of music. The women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. And Saul was very wroth. I've entitled my message this morning, Lord, stay with me, Lord, why am I so angry? Can I ask you, Lord, why am I so angry? And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David 10,000, and to me they have ascribed, but, but merely just, just, just thousands? And what can he have more but the kingdom? And notice, and Saul's eyed, his eyes, he eyed David from that day on, until he died, Saul eyed David from that day on. David became a marked individual. We studied the life of Gideon and we looked at several spiritual principles that we can apply in our lives. But we tackled the subject that a lot of ministers don't want to tackle. We want to focus on Gideon's faith. In fact, Gideon is in the hall of faith. And we talked about that. We love focusing on the fact that Gideon had a, an army of 300 men chosen by God. And these weren't even soldiers. And the criteria of this army was based on how they drink water. Obviously so that God would get the credit. And certainly he did. 300 men fought against 135,000 Midianites. But Gideon was relentless. And he pursued them and slayed them. Great victory. From a man who said, who am I? A man that was plagued with fear. And so, 
we focused on the great victory of Gideon, and we talked a lot about that, and many of us stopped right there, but we decided to pursue his life, and we learned something about Gideon, something happened to him, something happened to Gideon, from a man who said, who am I? I am the least, I am the least. Uh, Gideon had a tremendous beginning, a tremendous beginning, but in our series, we didn't talk much about the beginning. We wanted to focus in on end, the end. How do we end? That is important. We are great starters. Most of us have great beginnings. We start so well, but many of us are not great finishers. Gideon failed because he wasn't a great finisher. A great starter, but not a great finisher. He didn't finish well. You see, friends, something happened to him. Success got to his head. Success got to his head. Something happened in his heart. How many people have failed while they were in success? Remember in chapter 8 and 23 of the book of Judges, after this great victory, the people were so moved by Gideon's success, they wanted him to be king. He says, Gideon, rule over us. And Gideon seemed to be humble, and he seemed to have a pious disposition. He says, no, 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 I can't rule over you. God will rule over you. And he sounded very good, but his heart was deceived. You couldn't see it in the beginning. You, you can't tell in the beginning. You can't judge by what you see at times. You couldn't tell that something was brewing in the heart of Gideon. Even though it sounded genuine, he was disingenuous because shortly after that, now he wants the gold that they experienced, that they won uh, from his enemies, uh, gold that were meant for kings. And now he wants this gold and he comes on with this disguise once again and he says, I want this gold oh no not for me not for me let's let, give me this gold so I can build an ephod an ephod that was an, a priest's apron and it was used in the Old Testament to to uh, uh, to find out the will of God the plan of God and so he wanted to create and build this this ephod and 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 and, and he did with all the gold that he mustered up and accumulated that he shouldn't have done but he 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 builds and creates this ephod and and where does he place it? This, this religious emblem, if you want to use that term. Does he go to Shiloh where the priests are? No. He places it in his own house. And so Gideon's success now is starting to affect him. Now he thinks he's a priest. And now the people are going to worship in his house. And so he has this relic. And the Bible says this became a snare to the people of Israel. Isn't that amazing that Gideon, the Baal conqueror, who conquered the Baal gods, who conquered these false gods, now has an, a god in his own house. Isn't that interesting? Becomes a snare Refused to be king, but now he's acting like a king. He wants the gold. He accumulates wives, just like it says in Deuteronomy that kings should not do. And then we know how his heart was disingenuous by wanting to be a king when he has an illegitimate son by the name of Abimelech. Not only did he have many wives like Solomon, that wasn't enough. He wanted concubines too, like Solomon. And he has a concubine, and he has a son by the name of Imelech, and we discovered that Imelech means in Hebrew, son of a king. Well, if you don't want to be a king, Mr. Gideon, then why are you calling your son, son of a king? And this son, Abimelech, became a complete reproach to Israel and to Gideon. Abimelech kills 70 of his children, of his sons. He wanted to become king. And the Bible says, when Gideon died at the end of his life, he became such a reproach, nobody even cared about Gideon and what he did. In fact, in Judges chapter 9, verse 34 and 35, we read something very interesting. This is how Gideon ended. 
This is how he ended. And Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night and they laid wait against Shechem in for the companies. Watch this now. And Gael, Gael the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering the gate. No, not, not chapter, t- we said nine, yes. Abimelech rose up with the people. Well, hold on a second. Let me see if it's that chapter. Did I give you the wrong chapter? One second. Okay, no, it's chapter 8. Put, put chapter 8, please. Chapter 8. Well, I can just read it from here. Notice, and the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God, verse 34, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed to Israel. They forgot everything Gideon did. Showed them no kindness to his family. This great deliverer, man of faith, even the man who ended up in the hall of faith in the book of Hebrews, yet was forgotten because he didn't finish well. His eyes wandered. His success had blinded him. His success had deceived him. How many people have fallen in success? Today we're going to look at the contrast between David and Gideon. And our series is called Modern Day Davids. And there's a reason for that. The question is, how did David handle success? How did David deal with his enemies, with his trials, with his persecution? How did David deal when the singers sang about how great he is? That's the question. And so let me ask you, my friend, this morning, how do you handle success? How do you handle when God gives you favor? How do you handle when the blessings come your way? The point is, success can hurt you, promotion can hurt you, if your heart is not right. How many people have said, oh, you know, I'm just going to trust my heart. I'm going, to tr- I'm, going, I'm going to trust in what... Let me tell you something. Don't ever trust your heart. The Bible says your heart can deceive you. And it's desperately wicked. Oh, I know we don't like to hear this preaching, but it's the truth. Gideon failed because he believed his own press. Gideon failed because the mirror in his house was the greatest piece of furniture he owned. And that could be a a huge, huge problem. Let's look at the backdrop of our text. David has killed Goliath, the champion of the Philistines. He has a tremendous victory. But as great as it is, there is also pressure that accompanies David's success. There is always pressure that accompanies any success that you might have life lesson life lesson number one you see friends your character will always be tested in success your character will always be tested in success how are you going to respond in success how are you going to react when you start getting elevated when you get promoted when you get noticed how did Gideon respond how did David respond notice David the Bible says and we see this three times David behaved wisely David behaved wisely and there is the key to David when David was sang up when David was lifted up before the eyes of men the Bible said He behaved wisely before Saul, before the people of Israel, before Jonathan, before his enemies. And this becomes the key in David's life. You see, David didn't change his character. His character was not altered by success. How many people's characters are altered through success? And so let's see how David succeeded in success. Contrast, Gideon failed in success. David succeeded in success and we need to know why and how if we are going to be modern day 
Davids, if you will. First thing I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, David's success creates for him, I'm going to give you a couple of N's and F's, a new family. David's success created for him a new family. What do I mean by that? Well, something happened to David when he slew Goliath. The backdrop is Saul is discussing with Abner, Saul's general of his army. They're looking at David fighting this in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. And they're seeing something incredible taking place. And Saul is talking to, to Abner. Hey, hey Abner, who, who is this young kid, man? He's, wow, he's something else. Look at him. Whose son is he? They always ask, who's your son? That's just the way it is, especially back in the day. So David finishes, he comes off defeating this monstrosity of a man. A cacophony of noise. The people are saying, wah, 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 wah. Oh, David, what was that? He asked David immediately, Who, whose son are you? And David says, I, I'm the son of Jesse. David didn't realize perhaps that he was fulfilling prophecy by saying that. I am the son of Jesse. And why would Saul ask such a question? Because in chapter 17 verse 25, Saul said, and he made a decree, anybody who defeats this giant, I'm going to do three things to this man. Number one, he's going to marry my daughter. I won't have him pay any taxes. You're going to enter into royalty. David, through his success, has a new family. And the Bible says that he never went back home. Saul stopped him from going back home. Just a kid, a young teenager, experiencing incredible success in such a youth. Wow! He is now a hero. Incredible to see what can happen. Overnight, David's life changes. Success from the doghouse to the penthouse. Overnight, the God of suddenlies has done it again. How many times has God promoted somebody from the doghouse right into the penthouse overnight? How many times have you seen a healing? How many times have you seen circumstances just change overnight for the God of suddenlies doing it again? And again, and again. Number two, not only does success bring them a new family, but his success brings them and creates, watch this now, a new fame. A new fame. Davis now becomes famous. He's got a new family, and now he's got new fame. Before David was a nobody. Now all of a sudden he's famous. They're starting to sing about him. Uh, David, all these women came from all over Israel. It wasn't just a group of women. They came from all over. His fame propelled people to gather together, and now they're singing songs. David kills 10,000, and Saul his thousand, and David becomes uh, the theme of this new, this the hip, the hip parade of Israel. He be the number one song. David's the theme of this song. He's famous. Wow, a household name overnight. From what? Just weeks ago, he's a, he's a shepherd. His father couldn't care less. Uh, he's mopping up manure from the sheep. Uh, his brothers uh, couldn't stand him. He, he's a, he was in the field, uh, uh, neglected by every. There he was, a nobody, a shepherd. The lowest form of occupation you can have in Israel was a shepherd. Did you know that? Nothing was lower. And there he was, David, a kid is now the giant killer. The giant killer. His fame spread like fire. How are you going to handle this? He's just a kid. How would you handle such notoriety? There's another king that God gave fame to. He didn't handle it well either. His name was King Uzziah. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, we see an incredible portion of scripture. We'll begin at verse number 5. And he sought, this is Uzziah, God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding and visions. Now watch this. 
watch this, watch this, and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper, notice God made him to prosper, verse 5, this is 2nd Chronicles 26, watch this, watch this, and he went forth and warred against the Philistines, David fought against the Philistines, the Philistines were a thorn in Israel's flesh for years, the Philistines were a group of peoples, many of them believed they were ancient Greeks from the southern part of Greece, possibly from Crete, I believe that's true, there were Cretans moved up towards the Middle East, now watch this, Philistines who break down the wall of Gath, verse 7, and God helped him against the Philistines, that's wonderful, we know that, but I want you to focus on verse 8, and the Amorites gave gifts to Uzziah, and his name spread abroad, right up into Egypt, and beyond, Uzziah, God made him famous, there's nobody, again, God prospered him, blessed him, but something happened to Uzziah as it did with Gideon, and in verse 15 we discover, and he was marvelously helped, till he became strong in his own eyes, something changed in the heart of Uzziah, the Bible says as long as Uzziah sought the Lord, God blessed him, in the beginning he started well, oh he was another Gideon, he started well, humble, meek, you remember Gideon said, you want me Lord, who am I, I am the least in, in, in my father's house, you can't want me, you must be mistaken Lord, it's not me, Uzziah started very similar, how many start well, but they can't finish well, God blessed him, God gave him blessing and prosperity, but it got to his head, and he fell, Uzziah became a leper, interesting, thought he was a priest like Gideon, Gideon became a priest, Uzziah who's the king wants to be a priest, and God smote him with leprosy, wow, Verse 6 and 7, they danced and they worshipped. It almost seemed like they were worshipping right from the beginning. His fame spread. He became a household name. And the Bible says in verse number 30 that people loved him and he became highly esteemed, recognized by everybody. Let me ask you, how can you handle such fame at such a young age? Listen, I've been taught, and even in ministry, you, you know, a young pastor coming in, I've had people under me. I'm not going to give a young minister all this responsibility right away. You can't, you can't, you can't give people too much too soon. Can you? Because you, it's hard to handle certain things when you're young. It's hard to handle these things when you get older, let alone when you're young, vulnerable. David is being blessed and we see that, but how are you going to handle such blessing, David? How are you going to handle such notoriety? You'll bec you become the theme of greatness in all of Israel. His popularity had become, however, a great challenge to his character, to your character, to my character. Popularity can become, as great as it might seem, your greatest enemy. How do you think all these ministers that have fallen in the past have fallen? All of them, mostly all of them, were very well known, popular, highly esteemed. And when these atrocities took place, the people would say, <gasps> What? How can it? challenge challenge to succeed in success is a challenge Gideon failed Uzziah failed Gideon failed when they asked him rule over us Gideon you're so, look at you Gideon you defeated the Midian 135,000 we were being in torment for years and here you came out of nothing from rags and here you and we'll be our king said he didn't want to be a king but in his heart he did 
You see, friends, promotion can be a dangerous time. Remember, and I've said this over and over and over and over again, the enemy comes to you, now you can even quote it now, two different times in your life. Elaine, Rick, when is it? You've heard me enough. When you're at the top and when you're at the bottom. When you're at the top, look at you, David. You're just 16, 17. They're singing about you. You're fantastic. Nobody's like you. you had, nobody has faith like you. No, nobody's got gifts like you. Look at you. You're the anointed one. How many spiritual people have fallen because of their spirituality? Spiritual pride is an ugly disease. The enemy then comes to you when you're downcast. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you're sick. Maybe I remember when I was sick, the enemy came to me. What kind of pastor are you? You're lying in a hospital bed. Where's your faith, Dino? The enemy comes and torments you when you're downcast. He comes to attack you. When you're on the top and when you're on the bottom you must be aware of these things you see success can be like a drug oh you can write that down look you know I love sports it's no secret you know I, I'm just shocked at what's happening in baseball today there's a baseball player that played for Wash his name is Juan Soto they offered him $440 million to play for a certain amount of years. $440 million. That's obscene. That's, that's unconscionable. And he said, ah, uh, let me see. No, not enough. And so he got a contract with San Diego for, I forget now how many, certainly more than that. And so, and so, that's good, okay. Right. But there's another baseball player who plays for the uh, Los Angeles Angels. His name is Otani. And this baseball player is supposed to be the best baseball player in town right now. And, and uh, I heard and just recently that he hasn't signed a contract right now because he's waiting to get more than Juan Soto who's making 440. So he's just going to wait till he gets 500 million. Ah, I'm successful, then I'm going to get the most paid. I'm not going to be satisfied till I'm number one. See, that's success. Success, if you're not careful, is like a drug. You just want. And, and what's worse about success is you start believing that it's all because of you. That, that's when it really gets ugly. Oh, I'm... I've, I've got this big that, and I got this... I must be somebody special. Look, look. Look what I have. And we get into trouble and we forget that every good gift comes from above. And so because of David's success, he's got a new family. He's got new fame. But he's also got a new foe. <laughs> oh, that's right. Saul, the Bible says, when he's heard these women singing about him, Man, oh man, that, 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 that drove this jealous king crazy. He hated him and he kept his eye on him from that day on, the Bible says. He, his jealousy was out of control. I have entitled this message, Lord, why am I so angry? Are you angry? Anybody angry out there for, for some reason that you're holding on to, something you're holding on to? angry we see a lot of anger in the Bible we see that Joseph's brothers were angry at Joseph they were jealous of him too wanted to kill him anger is a terrible thing anger is can go as deep as committing murder it's a horrible thing notice verse 8 Saul's wrath did you see that and he says in his wrath David didn't do a thing what did David do? He says, and what else do you want? Do you want, do you want my kingdom too? David wasn't after his kingdom. See, anger will cause you to believe things. Anger will also 
project, project really what you're like. See, David wasn't interested in this game. David, David was just a man after God's heart. He didn't, he was taking it from one step. He had no idea. That's what's the great thing about David. He just loved God. Had no agendas. Didn't have an agenda. He loved God. He was a man after God's heart. And so now he's got a new foe because of his success. How is he going to handle that? How is David going to handle this enemy? And so now things are escalating and his anger, Saul's anger is growing. Oh Lord, why am I sorry? It's growing. In verse 11, Saul takes a spear in his hand and he hurls this spear and pins David. He wants to kill him. Jealousy wants to kill. And he's jealous and he's angry and he throws this spear. What is David going to do? Is he going to retaliate? I mean, he could retaliate anger for anger. In fact, it's biblical an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth you know it's but David could have been angry and be justified if you will but David doesn't do that he displays character on the other side of the cross he displays what Jesus said to bless those who curse you to pray for those despise you he doesn't show anger he could have he could have. How dare you try to? What did I do to you? So how many people have said that? Well, what did I do to you? And bang, they throw a javelin in retaliation. A javelin for a javelin, a spear for a spear, an eye for an eye, and David would be justified, no doubt. You're trying to kill me, and if it was in the courts of law today, self-defense. Justified. How do you succeed in success? And so because of his success, he's got a new family, a new fame. He's got a new foe. But now there's something else that's going to happen. He gets, he has a new, what? He gets a new friend. Something happens. A new friend. But David's anger could have escalated like Saul's. He was still a young man. He was an emotional man. If you're an emotional person, we have a tendency to display these, these, these uh, emotions. People who are passionate. David was a passionate man. His passion got him into trouble later on in his life. But, but being passionate also means that you can be angry and express it that way. And so when you love, you love. But when you hate, you hate. And when you get angry, you get angry. David could have got angry, angry, and thrown many javelins back, but he didn't. See, Gideon got angry. We're talking about contrast between Gideon and David. What did, I want you to notice in Judges, I want you to see what Gideon did. In Judges 8, verse 16, look what Gideon does. And he took the elders of the city and and thorns of the wilderness and briars with them and he taught these men of Sakoth and beat down the towers and then later on it talks about how he destroyed them and how he beat them and how he killed them Gideon was angry because they wouldn't give him bread and he came back to kill them his anger we don't hear this too much when we talk about Gideon. We want to focus in on the 300 and how great the... But we don't see as we dig a little deeper that Gideon did things in the flesh because he now feels he's invincible. And when you feel you're invincible, then you do whatever you want. When you feel you're invincible then, then, and you're the anointed one, then you can do things and try to justify it because you're the anointed one. And so ministers, they fall because they're the anointed one. So they don't have to pray as much as they used to. They don't have to study as hard as they used to. They don't have to fast because, because I'm the anointed one. God has called me. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. And you failed in success.
I could have entitled this series Failing in Success, but I didn't think. I thought I might do a little better. But David had another fool. And the Bible says that Saul, three times, Saul feared David. Now, here's what's important. Verse 28 and 29 of chapter 18. He feared David. You know why? Because the Bible says he saw that God was with him. Did you see that? Notice verse 28. Look what it says in our text. Verse 28 and 29. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet more afraid of David and Saul became David's enemy continually. Listen, you can have an enemy, but David had an enemy continually. It's one thing to deal with a trial on occasion. We all go through trials. David's trial was continuous. Do you know what happened to David after he was anointed? I'm anointed, I'm king. David, after was anointed, became the number one fugitive in all of Israel and was hunted like a wild animal for 14 years after the anointing. And you have these prosperity teachers and preachers telling you that if you're anointed, then you're going to be blessed every single day and more and more and more and nothing. You'll never... Are you kidding me? Sometimes because you're anointed, you end up in the pits more than you do in the palaces. Oh, that's not... Listen, that's not good. You won't, you won't sell many tapes or CDs. Sorry, I'm, I'm revealing my age. I said tapes. My goodness, Pastor Bombay... Did I say tapes? <laughs> Yikes, I mean, I'm in trouble here. Uh, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. David's got enemies because of his fame and because of the blessing of God upon his life. Joseph was hated by his brothers because of God's hand that was upon him. Did you know that? God blessed Joseph and gave Joseph all the ingredients he needed and his brothers couldn't stand it. Sometimes people will hate you because of God's hand that's upon you. My God. Because you're different. You don't laugh at the same jokes. You don't drink the things they drink. Oh, yeah, yeah, they'll come to you and tell you, oh, you're just legalistic. No, I'm not. David's success brought him a new family. David's success brought him new fame. David's success brought him a new foe. The Bible says that Saul saw something in David. Let me ask you, so what do people see in you? Can I ask you, please? What do people see in you? What do people see in me? That's a very important question. And I'll tell you why. After so many years in ministry, I can't help to tell you I can't, how many times I've heard people say to me, Pastor, I don't understand it. He says he's a Christian, but I don't see it. I don't see it at work. And his wife will tell me, I don't see it at home. I just don't see it. Saul saw something in David that set him apart. That's what sets you apart. It's God's presence in your life. And that's why I said what I said in the beginning of the service. His presence. David had the presence of God. That, my friend, is what sets you apart. Not your PhD. Not your pedigree. It's Christ in you. That's all. That's the key to everything. Nothing more important. That's my desire and my goal. 
That's what a modern David looks like. It's, there's something that you, you can see something in him. There's something. That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that he might see. See, something's got to be a visible. Listen, my friends, I'm going to tell you something. You have, you and I, an invisible pulpit. Wherever you go, this is visible, but you've got an invisible pulpit that you carry everywhere you go. At work, school, at home, waiting for the bus. I don't care where you are. There's an invisible pulpit that you carry in your life. That's right. That's the platform where Christ is seen in you. You carry it. You can't see it, but it's there. What do people see in you? What do they see in me? Saul saw something in David that he didn't really see before. Certainly wasn't in his life. Yet Saul was the king. The anointed one, supposedly. But we couldn't see God in him, that's for sure. Couldn't see anything. And so, new family, new fame, new foe, but now as I mentioned, he's got a new friend, number four he's got a new friend but the problem is Jonathan is the son of Saul the king, he's next in line to be king we got a problem here how's Jonathan going to handle this but Jonathan, who sees his father as king, full of fear and anger and jealousy yeah, 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 this was extremely disturbing to Jonathan, and so Saul should have fought Goliath, not David what, that Saul was full of fear, what kind of king are you you see all Jonathan saw was a shell of a man, without power, no faith no character, he may have been head and shoulders above every other man, but that was just physical my friends it's not about physical it reminds me of Revelation chapter 3 verse 1, the church of Sardis had an appearance of being alive but was dead reminds me of a peacock, I love animals, you know I love birds especially, you've seen peacocks haven't you? you've seen them Elaine? beautiful the greatest feathers in all of the animal kingdom purples and greens and blues and sometimes little orange spots and yellow mm, a majestic bird to say the least oh peacock I bow before you the problem is peacocks don't fly and if you ever heard them sing you'd run away they can't sing for the light they, 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 they squawk it's a terrible they can't. how many Christians do you have or do you see oh they look nice they got the latest fashion. They can, they, my God, they got the most beautiful suit. You can, they got a George Armani. They got an Hermes tie. They got the latest coif. Oh, they, they, they can sing. Oh, yeah, bring them up. They can sing the greatest solos. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely. They look so great. They're a head a taller, shoulders taller than any other man, it seems, spiritually. But they can't fly. There's, there's no faith. They can't fly. And some of them can't even sing. But they look good. Oh, do they? Oh, they look good. Man, do they? They, they, they know every hymn in the book. They can quote pff, scriptures verbatim. But they can't fly. They're head and shoulders taller than everybody else. No faith. Nothing. All Jonathan saw his father do was try to give David his armor, but we know that the armor didn't fit David. You can't put someone's armor on someone else. You can't do that. You can't use someone else's armor. How many times have you heard me say, You got to get your own oil? I can't borrow your armor to go into battle. I gotta get my own. I gotta get my own manna. I can't get your manna. I need my own relationship with God. I need my own oil. I can't get your own oil. My, I, I can't. Listen, you need your oil. I gotta get my oil. That doesn't mean I'm selfish. I got a problem. That means I can't try to take whatever spirituality you have 
and transmit it into my life. You can be an example, but uh, God has no grandchildren. You've got to be a child of God. I've got to get my own oil. I've got to get my own manna. I've got to have my own personal prayer meeting. I've got to have my own personal relationship. I've got to, I've got to fast personally myself. I've got to pray my, I can't depend on the pastor all the time. I can't depend on King Saul. I can't depend on David. I can't depend on my mother, my father, my cousin. I, 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 I need them. Thank God for my mother. Thank God for this. Thank God for that. But I can't depend on you. I can't be codependent on anybody. I can't be codependent on your oil. I can't be codependent on your spirituality I can't be I can't be a lot that rode upon the spiritual coattails of his uncle can't do that because when you face your trial you're going down you'll have no spiritual fortitude to resist anything David says no 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 I can't I'm going to bring my sling and my pebble. Your what? Let me tell you something, friends. As meek and as ill-equipped as a slingshot might appear to a monstrosity of a man called Goliath, if God has given you a slingshot and a stone, that's all you need. I don't need to compare myself to this church or that church. But you see, this this building, this church, this man, look what he has. He's got all this wonderful armor, nicely decorated, powerful. I, if I can only get that kind of armor, then I'll be able to defeat Goliath. If I can only sing those songs that they sing, if I can only have uh, the lights, if I can only have the decoration that that church, if I can only have the seats and the, just be like that church, if I can only adopt that, then I'll be able to slay Goliath. No, you won't. Goliath will slay you until you get your own oil. Jonathan sees this young boy who has the power of God and Jonathan was drawn to David by his life, by the light, as a moth is drawn to the light. Notice Jonathan does something extraordinary. Verse number four, we just read it. Jonathan gives David his robe. Why would he do that? Jonathan, you're the next king. What are you, what are you doing? But Jonathan, Jonathan who's humble, there's the key, who sees something in David's life. He sees something in David's life. We keep coming back to that. What do people see in your life that's different? They sees something in David's life that challenges him, that touches him. He knew that David was the next in line somehow and he makes a cup with him and he gives him his robe this is an emblem of kingship I'm going to give you my what do you think the father did in the prodigal son in Luke 15 when he met his son back after all those years of, of, of living as a recluse if you will in disobedience he comes back and what does the father do he kisses him with showers of kisses cataphilia showers showers and he puts a robe and sandals and kills him. he puts a robe you are part of this family you are as I he puts a robe around him a picture of majesty Jonathan puts a robe around David and now Jonathan begs his father not to kill David because David was the number one foe he loved him as his own heart, his own soul, as a brother. Jonathan risked his own life to protect David. He risked his own life. Jonathan was the one who stood by David as a true friend from the beginning to the end. You know, I see, you know, friends, every David, oh, modern David that you are, sir, every David needs a Jonathan every David needs at least one friend. if you can find one Jonathan in your life you are very rich just one you don't need many because there's not going to be many and a friend sticks by you in success and when you're out of success 
people like to hang around those who are successful a lot of friends then but when you lose that kind of blessing where are they they go to the next David if they can find him David's success brought him a new family, new fame, new foe, a new friend. By application, we're coming to a close. Watch this now. Two things. Two things. Application, are you ready? Write this down if you'd like. Number one, how was David able to succeed with success? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 70, promotion comes from the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Promotion comes from the Lord. Favor comes from God. David never forgot that bless the Lord O my soul and all that is within me and forget not all of his benefits Gideon forgot King Uzziah forgot King Asa forgot even Hezekiah forgot it for a moment number one I'm going to give you two C's application David succeeded in success because number one David refused, here's the first C, to be changed by his success. David refused to be changed by his success. How many people change in success? Oh yeah? I must be great. I must be the cat's meow. Look at what's going on. David was the same pre-Goliath and post-Goliath. How about you? He didn't, he went back. The Bible says when he killed, he went back to the sheep. Excuse me? I'm sorry? What? David could have been saying, I'm the giant killer. I'm the anointed one. I don't have to mop up sheep manure anymore. I'm anointed. In the verse number 10 of chapter 16, David played on his guitar or lyre as he usually did. As he, I love, don't you love every word of the Bible? And so Mr. Progressive Christian that doesn't believe that the Bible is inspired by God, I'm going to tell you something, every word is inspired by God. The Bible says as he, yesha, as he usually did, which means he went back to what he did before. Success didn't change him. Success didn't change him. A promotion on his job didn't change him. When David slew Goliath, and after his anointing, he became an enemy of Israel for 14 years. He could have said, wait a minute, people are writing songs about me. People are singing about me. But no, he went back. He didn't let success change him. You see, friends, are you ready for this? You can write this down, life lesson. Are you ready for another life lesson? Watch this, watch this. You, listen, you can be too big to be used by God, but never too small. You can be too big to be used by God, but never too small. What did David say? Who, me? In verse 18 of chapter 18, when he realized, he said, me? I'm, I'm just, me? I'm going to do this? I'm going to, me? David's success was the fact that he was a humble servant of God who didn't want to take who didn't expect others to bow down to him to constantly cater to him he didn't have that disposition he was a humble servant have you ever been around people who are arrogant and self-contained self-absorbed it's funny I've noticed that they don't see it we don't see it very well 
arrogance, pride is a disease that sickens everyone except the person who has it. <laughs> That's just for free. You can take it if you like it. Throw it away if you want. But I've noticed that over the years. Number two, David succeeded in success not only because his success didn't change him, but number two, he refused to take credit. There's my next C. He refused to take credit for his success. Can I say that again, please? He refused to take credit. Oh, oh, we're, we're good at that. Oh, uh, that was a great sermon. Oh, thank you. Well, that was a wonderful song you sang. Oh, wait, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. And somehow, inadvertently, or maybe deliberately, you like to take a little credit for it. Well, yeah, you know, I've been training. I've been going through voice lessons. You know, I've been, I've been tuning up and I've been, you know, and somehow trying to get a little credit out of something. And I'm not saying that you're not supposed to study or practice. I believe in that. But, but you see, it's very difficult because sometimes what we do is we, 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 we take the compliments and, and if we're not careful, we, we, like, we like them because somehow we can get encouraged by them. Nothing wrong with encouragement. The problem is though, if you're not careful, you can allow that to affect you and you inadvertently take the credit for it. Oh yes, that was a great sermon. Oh yeah, well I, I studied all week. Really? Wonderful. I've heard this. I'm just giving you things I've heard. Take the credit. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, David said, I am here in the name of the Lord. When he fought Goliath, he made it clear that he didn't come in his own strength, but in the strength of the Lord. You've got to understand, friends, David already practiced. He already destroyed a bear. He already fought the lion. He had great experiences. He didn't say, oh yeah, Goliath, I fought a bear. He's stronger than you. I fought a lion. He's bigger. He never said that. He said, I'm coming to you. Dare you in the name of the Lord God. That's who I'm coming. I'm a coming in my strength. I'm a coming that I know how to beat a lion. He didn't do that. He didn't take credit. He didn't take credit. He gave all the credit to God and all great men of God do the same thing. Joseph gave credit to God when he interpreted the dreams. Daniel gave credit to God to interpret the dreams everyone did Paul gave credit to God every true man of God never takes credit for anything that he does do you know how many men have fallen because they've taken credit for things we think about credit taking credit it doesn't stop because if you take credit for one thing you'll take credit for the next thing and the next thing after that and it doesn't stop remember success is a drug now please don't misunderstand me I'm not saying not to be successful only God is the author of that I'm not trying to downplay success obviously we need to be fruitful I'm talking about the attitude this morning I'm talking about an attitude of being a modern David that's my series and we see David's heart and we're going to close but watch this Psalm 119 here's David's heart Verse number 10, here is, this is the scripture that best depicts David in my opinion. With my part heart, with my whole heart, with my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from my commandments. Lord, no matter how successful I am, let me stay true. No matter what happens to me, let me not wander. Let me not go astray. Let me not think that I'm the cat's meow. Let me not think that I'm so good. Let me not think that I'm so great. Lord, with my whole heart, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to give you credit for anything that happens to me. By the way, good or bad, is there any Job in the house? Blessed be the name of the Lord who gives and takes away. There's David. His own son understood it in Psalm 127. Except the Lord build a house. We all labor in vain. My friend, 
except the Lord builds your house, you are laboring in vain. Maybe that's your problem. You're laboring too much and you're laboring in vain because somehow you're taking credit for something. You are who you are only and strictly because of God. I want to ask you, can God trust you with success? Can you just, I want that to marinate a little bit inside of you. Can God trust you with success? Friends, if God grants you success, please never let success change you. Give the credit to God always. Not with words, because we do that well, but with your heart. You see, David knew how to succeed in success because his success did not change him. And because his success, the credit of it, he gave to God. And so here it is, my last life lesson. Are you ready? To reflect God's light, which is what God calls us to do. People ask me, what is my, what is my goal? What, what is my raison d'etre? Like we say in French. My raison d'etre is to do what? Is to bring glory to God. That's the reason why I live. I don't live for any other reason but to give glory, to, to bring glory to God. If I couldn't do that, then please take me home. I'm gone. I have no reason to live. Can I say, I've got no reason to live if I'm not living to bring glory to God. I've got no reason to live. No reason whatsoever. I love my wife dearly. I've got beautiful children. I'm going to have, by the way, I'm going to be a granddaddy real soon. Uh, again, with twins coming up real soon. In just a few days. I'm all excited. But I, I, I'm elated. But can I be honest enough to tell you as great as that is, I still have no reason to live if I don't bring glory to God. That's what David did. To reflect God's light, you must never seek the limelight. <laughs> there it is. There's my application right there. That's it. That's it. There's my sermon. We can go home now and be happy. Because we are like the moon. The moon has no light of itself. It only reflects the light of the sun. S-U-N. But me, I'm a moon. Yes, I am. But I'm to reflect the sun's light. But it's got a different spelling. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. Got to close. I said that. All right, here we go. I close with a story. Two stories very briefly. Pastor Mabe, did you ever know Carmen Lynn from Bible College? You knew him? Thank you, Pastor Mabe. God bless you. Before I get to Carmen Lynn, I want to tell you a story about Spurgeon, known as the greatest, possibly, I, arguably, I've read many of his sermons. <laughs> My goodness, can this man preach? I, I've never heard, never read anything that even comes remotely close to that. He was called the Prince of Preachers. Anyway, one day a reporter came to see him from the London press, I don't know. And they, back then, Christianity had a different edge to it as far as making a difference in the society. And, you know, his church was the biggest church and lives were being touched. He had a household name. And, and the reporter came and asked him, want to know what his success was? What, what makes you so successful? He asked him this question before the service. True story. So Spurgeon paused for a minute. He said, okay, I'm going, I'm going to show you. I'm not going to tell you, I'm going to show you. He takes the reporter behind the pulpit. There was a huge curtain. And he pulled the curtain aside. And he saw 400 people praying before the service. 
He said, sir, that is the secret of my success. Not my ability to preach, and he was the greatest preacher. Not my nice suits, not that I know the Greek, not that I know the Hebrew. David succeeded in success. He didn't change, and he gave credit. Carmen Lynn, my Bible college professor, when I went to Bible college in 1991 to 1980 to 83, then after that, ended up assisting Pastor Bombay. He gave me an opportunity. He saw a green, young Greek who, uh, my gosh, I, I can't, I never can forget those days, and yet he took a chance on me. He took me on staff. Carmen Lynn was in his 80s teaching Bible college or close to that, maybe 79, 80. And he was, and I, you know, didn't speak very well. He spoke because he was, you know, had a hard time even communicating. You know, he's getting a little older and his communication skills were, were not so strong. But he was still teaching in Bible college. And it was his last year. And so lunchtime, dinner time, Sometimes Carmen Lynn will stay. And Carmen Lynn, eight in his 80s, wasn't very healthy, I knew that. I would see him, and I'd see, I'd see him in the back of the line, waiting, waiting to be served like all the other students. And he would be, let's say, let's say there, there'd be quite a few students. There. It's like a, like a cafeteria, right? You'd bring your tray and you'd take whatever you want to eat. And there's Carmen Lynn. I said, what's he doing? I went up to him, I said, I said, Mr. Lynn, brother, brother Lynn, please come, come ahead of me. He says, no, no, Dino, thank you so much. I just want to be like the rest, like all of us, because we're all one. When I heard that, especially when the other professors would butt into line, every single, there was every single teacher in that school would be at the front of the line except Carmen Lynn. He taught me what humility that's how you succeed in success. Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. Oh God.